Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello. Ask hello. me how I am. How? I was just about to. Ask me. I was just about Ask to. Ask me now. How are you? All right, thanks. How are you? Good. Fine. Good. Right, well, let's move on. Welcome to Sustainable 45. 45. We are your friendly little environment podcast all about people and the planet and how come they make each other so confused. And can we help? And what have we got to talk about this week? Well, this week, very, 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 very excitingly, we have got a super duper guest. And that guest is Danny Pappard, who is one of the recently not put behind bars Heathrow 13, the super duper climate activists who uh, were in the news, went to Heathrow, stopped planes flying and are now free as a bird. Which leads me on to... Here we go. Brace yourself, listeners. (laughs) So we are going to be talking about some other stuff. One of them is bird, doing a bit of bird with Danny. Uh, The other is, um, well, you know how Paddington Bear... Oh, he's a bear. bear. Well, he comes from Peru, doesn't he, Dave? (laughs) And we're going to be talking about Peru. So bear, bird and bear. We're also going to be talking about badgers. Mm, Everyone likes badgers, yes? Dead badgers. Oh. Sorry. So bird, bird, bear, badgers. And finally, we're going to be talking about pigs. Hooray! Very good, but not real pigs. Not real pigs. Nasty pigs in hats who hit people with truncheons. Or do they? Very good. Well, the usual disclaimers. We do both work for environment charities, but these are very much our own views or those of our guests, Danny. So if you've got any problem at all with anything that is thrown in your direction, don't try and put it behind bars, but let it free somewhere away from us. Don't take it up with anyone else. Take it up. Us. Yes? Yes, very good. Let's go. I'm going straight. I am straight as an arrow. I'll pay the price and just time. I'm going so this week in the UK, probably the biggest old story about the environment was the non-imprisonment of the Heathrow 13. Uh, these activists who, in July last year, went onto Heathrow's north runway, stopped the planes for several hours, um, and then, sensationally, uh, a couple of weeks ago, were told they should expect a prison sentence, which would have been quite a big deal. Would, wouldn't it? Yeah, because nobody... Is it right that nobody's ever gone to prison? No for... environmental no, protesters right. have gone to prison under that aggravated trespass charge, no. So it would have been pretty big, and everybody expected when the sentencing happened last week that all 13, or at least most of the 13, would end up doing bird, doing porridge behind bars in clink, banged up, nailed to rights, and everybody was very upset about it, and there was lots of solidarity campaigning and people saying, we stand with you. And apart, apart from James Dellingpole. Apart from, all right, not everyone was very upset <laughs> about it. Most people were, were upset Reasonable about it. people. And then, and I admit, I was flabbergasted by this, and I don't know if you were as well, old, they got off, sort of. I mean, they didn't go to prison. That's the didn't point. go to prison. They have been given suspended sentences. We'll talk to our guest uh, about this, but they've been given suspended sentences of six weeks, suspended for a year, I think. So we uh, interviewed Danny Pathard, who is one of the Heathrow 13, and we asked her all about it, and this is what she had to say. So we're here with Danny Pathard. Hello, Danny. Hello. How the devil are you? 
I am unexpectedly good. Um, yeah, feeling great. Really, really happy not to be in prison. So, um, for the benefit of people listening who might not know what happened, uh, <laughs> that's quite an intro. Uh, why is it that you're not in prison? Uh, what were you doing and what happened? Well, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, I'm one of the Heathrow 13, and we um, occupied the runway at Heathrow in July um, because the government is trying to build a third runway at Heathrow. And um, obviously this is a kind of long-standing battle that, you know, we thought we'd won. Um, and in kind of 2009, when David Cameron said, no ifs, no buts, no third runway, we kind of thought we'd got there. Um, but last year, plans really re-emerged to build this, this third runway. And on July the 1st, um, there was a, a, a government commission that came out recommending a third runway at Heathrow. And so in response to that news, um, Plain Stupid and the 13 of us organised this um, this protest. And we then, um, we were all occupied the runway, we all got arrested, we um, went, had a trial, um, and we did a big uh, not guilty trial on the basis that we... Um, you know, we took action because we felt we had to to save to save lives um, because of climate change and air pollution. Uh, sadly, we lost. <laughs> we were found uh, found guilty, and um, were told to expect uh, immediate custodial sentences. Um, so she left the judge left the trial saying, you know, come back in three weeks for sentencing, but you know, bring your toothbrush bring your knickers, you're all going to jail. Would, would you not otherwise have brought your knickers? <laughs> I think I otherwise probably wouldn't have brought my knickers. <laughs> <laughs> so that must have been quite scary, I'd imagine. I mean, I, how did you feel when, when she said that? Um, it was it was so weird. It was unbelievably scary. And, um, you know, this if, if it happened, it would have been the first time that climate activists have ever been sent to prison. Um, and... And, you know, although we kind of in theory knew that aggravated trespass had this, you know, upper limit of kind of a, a prison sentence, you know, it's never it's never been used before. So, um, you know, when she gave her when she gave her judgment, which was, you know, you're all wonderful people and you clearly care a lot. And, you know, climate change is really important. Um, but, you know, you made 90,000 people late and that's unacceptable, <laughs> so you're going to go to prison. We were like, what? What? Sorry? Well, they don't, that's not fair. They don't put first great Western Whoa. in prison for making... Uh, not, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, by that judgment, Richard Branson should be banged up for life. <laughs> so what, what happened there? So you were told that you should expect a custodial sentence yes. and the fact that the judge said that seemed to imply that she kind of you know meant it yeah and then you didn't get one so why what happened i mean it's hard to say exactly why that happened um i think i mean in those three weeks there was an awful lot of like public pressure around you know i think people were pretty outraged um that you know, that kind of peaceful protesters were going to get sent to prison. Um, and, you know, we also had kind of three QCs who came in and kind of, you know, fought our case. 
and you know really led with the line you know the normal thing for protesters um especially you know 10 of us had no previous convictions the normal thing is just a conditional discharge which is you know a slap on the wrist criminal record but you know you you kind of walk out of the court fine um so they kind of put the case that actually you know if you look at you know the kind of legal standards that's the kind of more normal thing to do and uh so they kind of argued our case and then in the end she said you know i do think this action crosses the like custody threshold because so many people were late <laughs> um uh but that she could see it would disrupt our lives and so she was going to suspend it. Um, yeah. Would you have been prepared to go to prison? Do you think this is something that someone should, in principle, go to prison for? How convinced are you that you, know, that you, were, that you were right? If you'd have gone to prison, would you have still said it was worth it? Um, I don't know because I don't... It's impossible to know what the impact of actually being in prison would have had. And, like, you know, it could have gone... You know, I don't know what the psychological impacts of, of that would have been. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I that morning I thought... You know, I thought I was going to prison. We'd packed up all of our stuff and, you know, had had everything set for not coming back for another you know, six weeks. Um, so I can't, I think I was prepared, you know, I, I completely stand by the action. I think it was a really important action. And so, you know, intervening at a time, a crucial time in the debate about Heathrow and that's what direct action is really good for. Um, so I completely stand by the action. And so I guess when I went in there that day, I said, you know, I stand by this action. And if it means I go to prison, it means I go to prison. And that's just the way it is. Um, I think as soon as we got that ruling that we weren't going to prison that day, um, the kind of enormous wave of relief was just like, okay, wow. I was really putting on a brave face on this one because I am really happy <laughs> that this hasn't happened. <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, and I think we felt it was really important to say, you know, as we went into that to say, you know, I'm I'm scared, but I'm prepared. And, you know, I will do this for my beliefs because, you know, people before us have done this and it's really important um, rather than kind of, sniping at the judge and be like it's not fair to put us away um because you know the whole point that we did it was that you know we you know we're prepared to take responsibility for those actions I mean, whatever responsibility that is um and the whole point is that the government and Heathrow aren't taking responsibility for their actions um and so I think you know if we went to prison it would serve to even better highlight how much the government and Heathrow are kind of failing to keep their half of the bargain in terms of climate change, air pollution, and like making sensible decisions um, around kind of what infrastructure we do and don't need. One of the things I liked uh, most in all of the kind of social media stuff I saw afterwards, um, and I think I got this right, was was, uh, the 13 of you in front of a 
of a banner that said we'll be back and I don't actually know when that was from was, yeah was, was that from straight yeah yeah, the yeah 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 and that sort of struck me as like an incredibly defiant and mm-hmm. principled thing to be saying it's like as you were saying earlier this isn't just about what's happened to us it's about the mm-hmm. statement we're making so yeah. do you think given that all of the the coverage um, and the attention this is drawn and given the outcome that this is going to create an increased amount of direct action that we're going to see more campaigning yeah, I really hope so. I really um I really think it will because it made lots of people look at it and think, hmm, why are these people taking this action? And I think one of the reasons that direct action is so important is that when people see others prepared to make that level of personal sacrifice, they're like, hmm. It's kind of thought provoking. It's like, why do they care that much about that thing? Um, and and you know and I, I think it makes makes people think of it and I've had so many messages from people not connected to activism being like or you know or loosely connected saying wow you know this action really inspired me and I'm I'm gonna take I'm gonna take more action and it, you know the so some of the some of the cool things that are happening already so the um, Lazad which is the French um, kind of fights against the airport there have got an international day of action on Saturday. And, you know, the Heathrow 13, some of them are already on the train on the way there right now um, to go and speak at that event and kind of build like real international solidarity um, uh, around this. And, you know, there's a there's an airport being fought in Istanbul and we're doing an interview with them next week. So it's clear that, you know, aviation is an international issue. And, you know, this has really kind of been a, um, you know, kind of prompted better linking up on that. And the other thing that was really amazing was that as soon as we got sentenced, Reclaim the Power announced that they would be doing a mass action in September at Heathrow. Um, and that was just exactly the kind of like response and defiance that, you know, that had to come and was exactly what we wanted. And yeah, I mean, obviously I can't go there because <laughs> I'm banned from Heathrow. <laughs> but I'm glad lots of other people will. <laughs> So you mentioned uh, the what's happening now in terms of, of, of you going to express solidarity with other fights across the across the world. Um, do you think the the solidarity that was expressed in those three weeks had a bearing on the on the outcome? Um, I, I was I went to a kind of um, a, a little gathering of activists, quite elderly activists who are like you know your sort of traditional write a letter sign a um, petition type thing and and they were all wearing their red t-shirts and red lines and holding up no Yay! new runways free the, free the Heathrow 13 and all that stuff and then you know there was big crowds outside the court yeah. did that stuff do you think that stuff made a difference I mean I don't know if it made a difference to the judge it certainly made a difference to us and it certainly made a difference to you know the overall fight against Heathrow I mean the support was just unbelievable and so much um, you know, so much love and people kind of standing up. But I think probably my favourite one was um, so in 2009 when the first fight against the third runway was happening, there was an event called Adopt a Resident and loads of activists went to the local villages that were going to get knocked down and kind of adopted a resident and said, you know, we will fight on your behalf to make sure this runway doesn't get built and we will protect your homes. And, uh, and that was, you know, it was a really nice, really nice thing. And then 
just before we went to, um, you know, just before we thought we were going to go to jail, the local residents said, well, hey, you know, the activists came and supported us when we need them and, and now they're in trouble. Um, so we had an adopt an activist event and we, the 13 of us, got adopted by 13 local residents who, you know, said that they'd they'd come and fight for us and they'd come look after us in prison and write letters and... It was so cute. <laughs> so it's like right, really it's beautiful. Putting a lump in my throat. That yeah, it was, it was lovely. Yeah, we did it on like Valentine's Day in like one of the local um, local pubs, and there's a big cake and wine, and yeah, it was lovely. Um, so yeah, and there's just been loads of stuff like that that's happened that's just made this whole process, which could have been like really terrifying and very isolating, actually, you know, while still stressful, like thoroughly uplifting, and has given us all a lot of hope that, um, you know, we're going to win again. When you're sitting there thinking about breaking into Heathrow... <laughs> this one does. <laughs> well, I suppose that's my question, really. Like, what, is, what is it that drives you to do something like that? And I understand the arguments about aviation and climate change, but you mm-hmm. personally, I mean, yeah. is it that you feel that you simply have to do something? Do you find yourself compelled to do it? How, how much of an intellectual as opposed to a sort of emotional thing is it for you? Um, so I feel very strongly that direct action is really important. And for me personally... I feel that um, I know it's something that I am able to do and I have, you know, the immense privilege of being from the global north, having had a good education, um, you know, being, you know, I don't have any, I've got no commitments or responsibilities. I've got like, you know, I am, I am able to take that sort of action where many people you know, many people just can't, and that's fine. Um, but I feel like because I'm able to take that sort of action, I um, feel a responsibility to do that. And yeah, I think it's it's a difficult it's a difficult barrier to cross that first time. And I remember when I first got asked to do a kind of illegal action, and I was really really unsure. Um, but I, uh, I channeled my inner suffragette and said, well, you know, if they can do it, you can do it too, come on. Um, and yeah, so I thought, you know, if they can fight for me, and, you know, as a young woman with a vote, that was quite important. And I hope that, you know, generations to come will look back and, you know, I'll be able to say, yes, well, we stood up for you when, when we could. Danny, thank you so much for coming in, and I guess thank you so much for what you've done. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's brilliant and brave and heroic and amazing. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing it with us. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Sustainable of the week. So sustainable of the week. This is the section every week where we have a little look at the nonsense that has been bluffed in the ether, the egregious eco-guff where people who are sounding green turns out aren't. And this week, well, what have we got this week, Dave? Badgers! Oh no!
Badgers. Everybody loves a badger, don't they? No. Everybody what? does not like a badger. I, I love badgers. I love badgers too, and I know lots of other people are like badgers. And who badgers. doesn't? Who doesn't like a badger? The Where government, are they? farmers, and the government. Ah. So what's been going on? Uh, a few years ago now, I think three years ago, the government went to war on badgers. Not content with uh, having a go at the Topmouth Gudgeon. See episode oh, six four. <laughs> <laughs> see episode a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are taking on the might of the badgers. This has become something of a sort of totemic um, environmental issue, hasn't it? A lot of people feel very strongly about it because it's all apparently in the name of science. So this is in order to spread, uh, to stop the spread of bovine TB, a nasty disease that cows get. Uh, the proposed solution is kill all the badgers. And um, a lot of people have got beef with that. Yeah, indeed. So uh, there was a whole load of hoo-ha when the government first announced it was going to do some trial culls in, I think, Gloucestershire and Somerset in 2012, when they said, look, we want to try getting rid of loads of badgers and see whether it works. And by getting rid of, we mean shooting in the face. Hello again, my messy mates. The idea is that by killing badgers, you don't spread bovine TB, which badgers do carry. But actually what happens is, when you try and kill badgers, you freak badgers out. So badgers run away, taking with them their bovine TB and taking it to places where they weren't already. So what you do is you perturb, you spread the, uh, you, you, you perturb the badgers and you spread the bovine TB. No one likes a perturbed badger, least of all me. Also, the, the opposite happens as well. So if you wipe out a population of badgers in one place... Um, then because these are territorial animals, badgers who are living nearby and previously thought, oh, phew, fancy that little patch of land, will go, hey, they've moved. Let's have it. So you don't actually reduce the number of badgers there and you might end up wiping out a healthy population only for them to be replaced by a TB population, right? Right. So it last... turns out I know something about this. No, it's very good, yeah. <laughs> um, so the colour's been going on for a while um, and they're talking about starting it up again. In fact, I think they have started it up again. Um, and last week, a group called Stop the Cull, who, believe it or not, are opposed, <laughs> Which side are they on? <laughs> are opposed to the cull. Um, they brought out some research and they said, actually, there is proof, we have checked, that the two trials in Gloucestershire and Somerset have increased uh, bovine TB in the areas around where the badgers are, not decreased it. So therefore they're saying, in practice, the people who warned this would happen have been proved to be right. So killing badgers has made the problem worse for TB, not better. According to people who, it must be pointed out, don't like the idea of killing badgers. Mm. Yes, and the government, <clears throat> well... So the government don't quite agree, do they? <laughs> they don't see it that way? No, not so much. Uh, okay. Not so much. So, um, what... Hmm, Arabella... <laughs> Hi, Arabella. Come here. Um, Oi, what, be a bit more civil to my niece. Thank sorry, you. Sorry. Hello, Arabella. You're looking very well. Um, can you tell us, please, when challenged on whether or not the uh, bovine TB badger cull that this government has recommended and pushed through despite scientific warnings um, and purely because the farmers wanted them to, can you tell us how they describe whether it has worked? Our comprehensive strategy to eradicate bovine TB through tighter kettle controls, improved biosecurity and badger control. It's delivering results and we are on track to deliver TB freedom to more than half of the country by the end of this parliament. 
TB, TB Freedom. freedom. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> what is TB Freedom? Well, it's like liquid American freedom, isn't yeah. it? And, yeah. You know, it's it's freedom from TB. You so. think it's like vials of TB shot out of shotguns into the air by like rednecks on four by four. Yeah, TB Freedom. Oh, it's Ow. just extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> um, so they say it's delivering results, mm. is what they say. Yes, it is delivering results. <laughs> Crap results. <laughs> well, um, yeah, but you know, results are results, Dave, and we're, this is a results business. You should know that as a fan of Brentford. Shit! Did you see that? He must have a foot like a traction engine. So look, okay, all right. So it seems to be uh, two different views to, on this thing that the stop the coal people say that killing badges hasn't helped and the government say it's delivering results and they're fairly vague and non-specific on that. Um, so who's right? Well... Uh, they asked a scientist, did this newspaper, uh, The Guardian, which we read occasionally for our environment news, once or twice a week, and the scientist said, all right, look, we don't entirely know, but it is entirely possible that the phenomenon of... Phenomenon? Phenomenon. Phenomenon. Which song was that? Phenomenon. Let's have a little bit of that. The new soundtrack to Badger Cully. Uh, and uh, this scientist said that, yeah, this is exactly what you'd expect to happen, so I wouldn't be surprised if that had been the case, basically. So, oh, hello. Hi. So we have talked quite a lot, like in every episode ever. We talked about it last week when we were looking at the beavers in episode 44. And I was saying, why is it that farmers want to kill all the beavers? Why is it that farmers want to kill all the badgers? Why is it that people who make farm animals in one place can use that as a reason for killing non-farm animals in another place? And why is it that this government goes, all right? Oh, I don't know the answer to that, Dave. We should get a farmer on. We oh, should crikey. we should get a farmer. I mean, I I don't really understand the beavers thing at all because there's so few of them and they don't. Oh, don't make that face! <laughs> I was doing it. I was doing the serious answer. <laughs> right, let me have a clear run at it. There's so few beavers, really, and surely they're not, you know, interacting with fish stocks. I mean, they're vegetarians that we've as we've gone on about. What what harm is it that they're actually doing? I don't get that. I am aware that like badger sets can be quite problematic. Uh, and that clearly badgers, as we were saying earlier, do carry bovine TV. So I, I can see why, if your job is to bring up healthy cows, um, badgers are a problem. So, but I just I don't I don't get it on the beavers front. I don't get why in general farmers seem to be so against any wild animals, um, and the government it seems to just go along with them and you know describes anything that isn't a factory farm chicken as a pest. But this is so. Is the farm lobby just like massively, massively powerful? Is that what's going? Is it? Yeah, is it powerful. as sort of simple and naive as that? that they, they are powerful. They're very powerful, and you know, there's it's no accident that the NFU's offices are right next door to Defra's offices. For instance, Defra being the Department for Exporting Food, really aggressively. aggressively. Uh, and you know, a lot of people will argue that actually groups like the NFU, although they've got a nice, friendly-sounding name, National Farmers Union, don't really... National Fluffy Union. (laughs) Yes. Don't really represent farmers as a whole. They represent sort of landowners and, uh, you know, the aristos. And and this is 
which is really about power and getting the plebs off your land and being able to do whatever the hell you want and, and just make money. So, oh, I don't know. I don't know enough about this. But I tell you what, we should get a farmer on. It'd be entertaining apart from anything else. Well, if you're a farmer and you listen to Sustainable <laughs> and you fancy appearing to tell us all about why you're not the devil, uh, please do so. Um, and we will gladly give you a fair hearing. We better get a, uh, an increase in our inbox size and imagine we're going to be inundated with requests for that one. So, in half time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is the section of the show named after the American senator, Jim Inhoff, who is... What? What is he? What is he? What? He's, what? A, he's a loser. Ah. Yes, he is a loser. Beastly, a, awful, terrible loser. loser. Is he? I'm getting more benign as the weeks go by. He's a loser because he thinks climate change isn't real simply because there's still snow. Uh, so we named a section of the show after him in which we look for other losers, other wazzocks, other bellends, no. other penises, Stop. other douchebags. Sorry. Uh, and this week, well, who have we got this week, Dave? We have got a guy called German Velasquez. Oh, where's he from? He's from Peru, despite being called German. What? Yes, he's from Peru. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if he is from Peru. I know he lives in Peru. Oh. Um, and why like he Paddington lives... Bear. No, Paddington Bear doesn't live in Peru. That's the point. Oh, he he's turns from up, Peru. doesn't he? He's from Peru. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, German Velasquez is still very much in Peru, and what he's doing in Peru is running an oil company. Boo. Boo. And that oil company is called. Cleverly enough, Petro Peru. Ah, oh, see what they did there. Yeah. Very good. And you know what else they did there last week? Well, I do know what they did there because, you know, running an oil company in Peru is pretty in hoffy, but probably doesn't single him out. However, they managed to lose a lot of their oil, didn't mm. they, Dave? And not in a wholly controlled way. Uh, this is the news that um, I think it's 3,000 barrels of crude oil have spilled into an Amazonian region. Uh, and it's, I mean, that's that's the BBC's phrase, which you can tell I'm reading out. Uh, an Amazonian region being... The Amazon. The Amazon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, indeed. So, yeah. Yeah, do, you, do you want to take it from here? <laughs> why, don't, why don't I pick it up from here? So what happened is there was there is a, a beautiful place in the world which is called the Amazon. Gorgeous, gorgeous, lovely Amazonian place. And it's pretty and it's green. And now it's got oil all over it because oh, an oil company nuts. accidentally spilled a bit. Um, and it's gone all over the rivers that uh, indigenous people use as well as making a right nose up of... The, uh, the, uh, the, the Chiriaco and Morona rivers, I believe, in, in northwestern Peru. Very good. Yeah, very good. Was that the government's environment? I'm a watchdog telling you that by any chance? Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, no. Back of my head. Um, and what it's doing is it's uh, the people who depend on those rivers, which as you can imagine, if you really, really need a river that hasn't got big, gloopy tar in it, uh, is a bit of a problem when suddenly your river does have big, gloopy tar in it. And those communities are buggered and they're furious, basically, as you would be. And, as you know, leaving be. aside the environmental horror of having 3,000 barrels of oil barreling down the middle of the Amazon. Uh, it's really affecting people's, uh, the way people live. And it's been raining as well, so they've, they've really, really struggled to even get you know near to a position to be able to do something about it. And, okay, right, well, oil spills happen. They yes? do. I mean, just, just to, be, to pick up on what you're saying there, to be vaguely serious, it does just look horrific, doesn't it? And one of the things that is sad is when you look at the pictures of the, 
what I guess is the clean-up effort. It's just just a couple of guys wandering around in high-vis jackets with carrier bags. And a and spoon. Think, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. That's yeah. not going to help. Well, it isn't. Poor and this people. is the thing, isn't it? So he got... Uh, the reason, the particular reason why Petro Peru president's German Velazquez is in Inhoff Corner, apart from the fact that he runs an oil company and apart from the fact that that oil company discharged 3,000 barrels of its gear into a beautiful <laughs> bit of the world, um, apart from that, uh, he has denied allegations that the company paid children to clean up the toxic sludge. What? Yes. Uh, So he's denied it. So, you know, we don't know that it happened. However, um, he said, what did he say he was considering doing? Well, I mean, no, he said he's very much considering, you know, it's on the table. He is considering firing four company officials, one of whom may have allowed children to collect oil. May, may have done. I mean, as long as he's looking into it. Exactly. I as, mean, you yeah. just you want to be confident that this is one of a suite of options mm. he is thinking about taking. I'd mm. imagine he's stopped thinking about taking it now and moved on. And those people aren't fired, probably. Who knows? But as long as he's considering it, you know, that's that's reassuring. What an inhoff. So he denied that the company had paid children, but then he said he might consider <laughs> firing four people. Who yes. may have paid children. Yes, I suppose yeah. that is the bigger point, isn't it? Yes, it, is. Like, <laughs> it is, rather. <laughs> you did use children, mate. You just admitted it. Not only that, he also, believe it or not, he has a plan for dealing with this, with stopping this happening again. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. what's his plan? What's plan? His plan is they're going to evaluate the pipeline to prevent future spills. Thank God for that. Hooray. Well, we're wow. safe. There you are. This is well a big hoo-ha done. about nothing. He's going to evaluate the pipeline, Dave. Don't worry, at you are community. <laughs> Don't worry about it. When all that oil comes off your pants and when you can <laughs> drink water again without vomiting up tar don't worry about it because it won't happen again because mr velasquez has been evaluating what to do instead hooray schadenfreude of the week so schadenfreude time this is a section we don't get to do very often but we do this week because some nasty people have got their comeuppance Yes. Who is it this week, Dave? Well, it is a fracking company. Frackinged? Frackinged company. Thank you. Uh, the other one, so the one that everyone's really heard of is Quadrilla, who are the ones up in Lancashire uh, that we talk about quite a lot. But there's one called iGas. I mean, there's lots of other ones as well, but this is one of the other ones called iGas. And they have been wanting to frack, and they went to a place in Cheshire uh, in January and did some sort of exploratory sniffing around for gas and saw what they would get up to. And there was a big protest up there, if you remember. Well, I mean, I have to confess, this wasn't one of the ones that sort of got all the media coverage, was it? So I'm I'm only dimly aware of it. But anyway, there was a big protest, as there always is. And as I've said previously, there will always be protests about fracking, which is why I don't think it's going to happen. Anyway, big protest. And obviously the police were then called to sort of you know, marshal it and, crucially, to evict these protesters at some considerable cost. What happened next, Dave? Well, so they booted all the protesters out, and then a couple of weeks later, iGas said, oh, yeah, we don't want to go frat there anymore, actually. Sorry. Don't fancy it. Don't fancy it. No. Uh, turns out, yeah, we looked at, we, we looked very hard at it, but, you know, upon considering everything, we think maybe we might go there. Mm-hmm. We're very busy, you know, time time of the yeah. month. Cold. Cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they pulled out, and they went away. And... What has happened is the police 
have gone spare about this. <laughs> um, and uh, technically, the, the, the bloke uh, is a bloke called John Dwyer, who is the elected police and crime commissioner for, Efficioner. Efficioner mm. for Cheshire. Um, and he has, he's gone into the media, and there's loads of stuff at the end of last week about this, basically saying, well, that cost us £200,000, you bastards. <laughs> he didn't say bastards. Um, <laughs> well, he, he's not far off. It's he's pretty, pretty strong language. Uh, he's saying, I am astonished that you have made such an announcement. The, the announcement being that they were going to pack up and go home only some three weeks after a complex eviction process, which risked the safety of the public, protesters, bailiffs and police. So he's pretty cross. You can see him going a bit puce, the colour I sometimes go when we do this podcast. He continues, I find it incredible that a company that describes itself as a responsible operator with the highest standards of health, safety and environmental protection would have allowed the bailiff's action to proceed and risk serious injury to all involved. And he blah, 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 blah. He's just very, very, very cross. And he said, give us our Wonga back. Which they're not going to. Or at least that their current position is I guess have gone, nah, no, and we're not giving you the money back. That's that's at the time of recording. That was the, the, the latest thing. I suppose there's lots of interesting things about this. A, firstly, that the police have gone bonkers about it because we were talking earlier about badgers and one of the things that the police have had to go do there is police people trying to stop the badgers. And we were talking to Danny um, and one of the things the police have had to do is go and arrest, uh, arrest environmental protesters. And, you know, the police basically are involved all the way through all of this controversial mm. stuff. And I'm not surprised that every now and then they go, oh, for God's sake... You know, like, what, what is happening? Why is all this stuff so controversial? Why are people getting so upset about it? And they basically turn around and say, well, look, if we're going to do this, at least bloody well frack at the end of it. Don't just, like, go there and pretend to frack. Don't put up the signs saying, we might frack, maybe, and or then have, don't do or, it. Or have a good go. You know, yeah. stick it out for a couple of months, even if it's proving tricky. Just don't go, oh, oh, it's, no, it's cold. I don't fancy it. Probably there's not much gas down there. I don't know. Let's go somewhere else. And I think it's also really interesting uh, uh, that protest has kind of worked as well. So, uh, as you have said before, uh, people get very upset about fracking um, and they don't want it. And one of the reasons why it might not happen is because people don't want it. Um, and two, I have £200,000 that cost. Just yeah. that one protest. So imagine that all over the country in a thousand different places that people want to frack. It's like the badger cull. Imagine every single time someone tries to cull a badger, there's someone on the end of it going, no, you got to nick them. you got to put them in clink. you got to make them do bird. you got to put them in sing-sing, all of that sort of Keep stuff. Keep going. Costs money. And all of this is a material, actual cost. That all adds massively to the so-called wonderful economic case for something that don't have a wonderful economic case behind it in the first place. Do you think somewhere in a dungeons of Whitehall there's a spreadsheet which is going to get subtly changed one of these days that's going to say well, it should do. it's going to say do you know what fracking is a little bit more expensive because of all of this hoo-ha and perhaps we'll quietly stop it do you think that's going to happen I think it should do because if they're doing the sums properly that's got to be right yeah um, and uh, that's what uh, that's how they look at the badgers so there is a thing with the badger cult where they had a range of how expensive they thought it was going to be and they thought maybe it'll be some expensive maybe it'll be some more expensive and they've had to realise it's some more expensive because they have to keep nicking people who don't like you killing badgers like right? Brian May like Brian May exactly um, and so yeah I think they'll have to if they're not doing that then they're not doing their sums properly and surely this no. government likes doing its sums properly Dave how dare what an accusation so I went to the bank to see what they could do they said son look like bad luck got a hold on you but it's too tight to mention I can't give an unemployed 
So that is just about it for Sustainable 45. The older we get, the more astonished I am that we've reached this age. In general and in the podcast. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, it's> amazing. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, as ever, to the wonderful, the beautiful and the hirsute Sticky Moore for the music that plays us in and out and in the middle of this podcast. Incidentally, he started a little mini-series yeah, I saw this, and it had a big piece in the Independent. It's called Thamesmeared, which I think is an uh, anagram of dream themes. Is, is that it? right? So yeah. yeah, so go and check that out. That's all we'll say. That's our friend Dicky Moore. What does does us the babble music? Does he pay us for these plugs, by the way? No, but he did give us his music for free, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll uh, pipe down. Thank you, as always, to the wonderful Arabella for reading out the egregious eco guff, and a massive thanks to the heroic, legendary, and very much free Danny Paffard for coming in and telling us about why she went and disrupted all of them. Airplanes. If you would like to leave us a little message, or I suppose leave Danny a message, uh, you can get in touch with us at the Babble Wagon on Twitter. You can search for Sustainable on Facebook, or you can drop us an email at hello at sustainable.fish. Splendid stuff. Oh, thank you very much, as always, for being company. <laughs> for being here. Yes. Breathing. For being someone sort of. I know. <laughs> Bye. See you next week. Bye. Thank you.